Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Nick Carlisle here, and welcome back to another episode of the Life Enchanted podcast, where I tend to nerd out on all things faith, health, interesting, and optimizing. If you're not already following me on Instagram, at nick.carlisle, that is, go ahead and find me on there, hit that follow button, send me a DM perhaps. I am very active on the gram and would love to connect with you personally. This episode, as always, is brought to you by MyLifeEnchanted.com, which is where you can find all things related to the Life Enchanted movement. I have a free 30-page eating guide on there. I have some links to some of my favorite products. I have some hoodies and some shirts I designed. The Truth Pack is on there as well. So go check all of that out. Thanks again for tuning in. Now let's get into it. My guest for this episode is the man Matt Zelich. Matt is a pastor and author currently living in Phoenix, Arizona with his wife Leah and two children. He released a phenomenal book titled Naked in God's Holy Temple that we talk a lot about in this episode. Um, I really enjoyed interviewing this dude. He's just super solid, as you're going to see for yourself, and I'm excited for you guys to get to know him a bit. I also, interestingly enough, found out after the fact that he is also the guy in the viral social media video of him and his son having an epic and dramatic lightsaber battle, which you may have seen. It's been viewed hundreds of millions of times across all social media platforms, which is awesome. I'll link to it in the show notes uh, below this episode. Feel free to check it out. But without further ado, here is is my conversation with Matt Zelich. All right, Matt, what's up, dude? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, super pumped to be here. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your story. What is the backstory behind Matt? Yeah, so um, I uh, currently live in Phoenix, Arizona uh, with my wife and two kids, and we absolutely love it out here. Um, I, I've been doing youth ministry for the last 10 years. I started out in uh, Kentucky before uh, migrating out here to uh, Scottsdale. And, um, I did my undergrad at, at a small school in Indiana, Anderson, uh, university, and then did my master's at Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, and then through a series of events after we had kids, uh, our lives shifted quite a bit. Um, and then I stepped out of my role in youth ministry to support my wife, uh, who was, who felt called to ministry. So she's doing um, youth ministry now at, at, uh, CCV, it's a big church out here in, in Phoenix, hmm. uh, and I'm currently working with college students at Grand Canyon University. Oh, no way. Yeah. I've heard great things about that school. I know a couple of my students went there, and then a couple of my relatives actually went down there, and they love it at Grand Canyon. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's growing, man. They they just don't stop, and so um, it's, it's exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Have you always been a believer? Did you grow up in the church, or when did you really start to find and own your faith? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, my, my parents uh, are divorced. And so I grew up for the majority of my life without like a father figure. Um, I, I maintained a relationship with my dad, but, um, you know, I definitely, I, I definitely felt um, a gap in, in my, um, in my upbringing. And so uh, my mom started to get into church, hated it. 
but uh, eventually got connected with youth pastor who um, kind of played that role, mentored me quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And um, it's through that process, you know, I have a traditional story. I went to church camp and, you know, weeping on the stairs, gave my life to Jesus kind of thing. What age was Um, that? That was like in seventh grade. Mm. Um, And so from that point on, I got really plugged into church, made my faith my own and then felt a call to ministry. And so I had pursued that through middle school, through high school and into college um, knowing that I want to, I want to be a youth pastor primarily because of the role that my youth pastor had in, in my life, mm. um, which was really, really, uh, it, you know, it, it was a cool journey, but somewhere in college I had like a crisis of faith. And I think actually like if, if for, for anyone who's developing in their faith, eventually you're going to hit those, those obstacles, those roadblocks. And yeah. I, I nearly walked away. Um, and because uh, luckily, why, what did that entail? Talk to me more about the crisis. What did that look like? Yeah, so I really felt like um, my faith from from middle school to high school was just all run on hype. Like, just you know, you it's you you get excited about the idea of oh, Jesus is you know Lord, He's Savior, and and He has a plan for your life. And so you get together with a bunch of other middle school, high school kids in youth group, and you hear that message, but then spend the rest of the time hanging out, playing games. And so all of mm-hmm. my, my whole relationship with Jesus was based off of, um, emotion. Mm. And so as I developed and, and moved into college and then started learning more about the Bible, the background, the history of it, um, sort of lost the feeling behind it. And, and, and for, for so long I had equated God with a feeling. So mm. when I didn't have the feeling, my natural conclusion was, Oh, I was wrong. There is no God. And so um, I had to I had to move through that, and and I think that that was a huge step uh, in my faith moving forward was to realize like no 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 there's there's so much more than just our emotions and our feelings and uh, and we have to grow past that if we're going to actually mature in our faith and so uh, and and that's that's an ongoing journey I've by no means arrived in fact I honestly have a crisis of faith at some level, like every few years, because mm-hmm. there's new challenges, there's new obstacles, mm-hmm. there's new questions, there's new doubts that I have to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a sign that uh, that God's not there. If anything, mm-hmm. it's a sign that you are progressing in your faith and, and you're maturing in your walk with Jesus. Yes, that needs to be said more, man. And, and that is very similar to my experience thus far. I'm only 32, you know, but those crises of faith have been prevalent in my life as well, but you're exactly right. They make you grow. They make you dig deeper. They make you read different books and listen to different people. And it, it makes you mature and it it starts to build that, that solid edifice of what you believe, you know, and and that's super important and it's necessary. Unfortunately, it's just that whole thing of struggle produces growth and suffering Mm -hmm. produces growth. Um, yeah, it's super important. Right on. So you recently wrote a book. It's called Naked in God's Holy Temple, which is an acronym uh, for yes. night. Talk to us about the book, man. What drove you to write it? Yeah. So uh, I have two answers to that, a long one and a short one. I'll, I'll just give the short one, which is um, I, I had to. I just had to write this book. Um, it was a few years ago. I uh, Because our lives had, had shifted after you know, becoming a father and, and um, stepping back and looking at my life, I realized I had a lot of goals that I, I thought I, I would accomplish by, by that point that I hadn't. Mm. And so uh, when, I, when I realized that, I felt just disappointed. And so I, I remember going, I went on a camp, camping trip by myself uh, to kind of 
work through that and process through it. And it kind of broke me down in, in a really significant way to the point that I realized my whole life uh, up until that point, I had been just chasing this narrative of success. I, I was trying to be like other people. I would, and, and I think it's good to have role models and to be inspired by what other people accomplish. But that was my target was like trying to be them essentially. And uh, mm. when I realized like, no, that's not, that's not what I'm here to do. Uh, it, it was an awakening to the reality that I don't know that I'm, I, I know who I am and, and what I, I'm supposed to do. I've been trying to be like so many other people for so long. What is it that, that I'm here for? What is it that God's placed me on this earth to accomplish? Mm. And so, um, that, that woke me up in, in more ways than one. And, um, and eventually materialized into this book that I put together. Wow. That's powerful, man. I love that. So let's dive into it. So first let's talk about Nicodemus. So Nicodemus is in the beginning of the book. You mentioned him and I love how you tied him in to the story uh, of the book or the core tenets of the book. So talk to us about how Nicodemus fits into this story and relates to the book. Yeah. So the story of Nicodemus is kind of a preface to, um, the entire book. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, he's a, a religious leader. And, uh, and at this time during the, the life and ministry of Jesus, uh, the Pharisees, the Jewish re- uh, religious leaders um, had problems with Jesus. And at, at best, they, they struggled with him and his teachings. At worst, they conspired to have him killed. And so, um, so, so there, we see this tension all throughout Scripture with, um, with Jesus and, and these religious leaders. Well, we come to the story of Nicodemus, and it tells us that he approaches Jesus at night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's easy to miss this, but you know, when I read that, I mean, my question is, well, why does he do that at night? And, and it's obvious because he doesn't want to be seen. He, he approaches Jesus at night because uh, people are, are at home. They're, they're uh, wrapping up the day. They're, they're heading off to bed. And so he won't be seen. And, that, and that's significant because if he's not seen approaching Jesus, he's able to maintain his position and his respect and his influence. He, it's, he won't compromise the things that he's achieved, um, but he still has uh, curiosity. He's, he's interested in Jesus. He wants to know more, and so he approaches him um, to learn from him. And, and, and the, the truth is, I think this is a posture we all have with Jesus. We all approach Jesus, so to speak, at night. It's mm-hmm. this idea that we, we, want, we want the life that he says he can give us, but but not at the expense of our plan, not at the expense of our accomplishments, not at the expense of our metric of success. We want to hold on to those things. And so we're going to have a, a foot in both camps, which is what makes what Jesus tells Nicodemus so terrifying that he has to be born again. Mm. And that's a phrase that I think is, is, is used all the time. You maybe have heard it in, in different settings, um, but, but it's really, really powerful because essentially what Jesus is saying is you need to start over. You need to, you need to have a new perspective you need to unlearn some of the things that you have um, accumulated over time. Those things that you think protect you um, are actually the things keeping you from the life that I've made you for. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't realize this when I was writing the book. It was not my intention that um, I would make this connection between Nicodemus approaching Jesus at night, um, correlating to uh, to the actual title of the book, Naked in God's Holy Temple. Um, that, was a, that was a later discovery that, oh, wait, that – that phrase is an acronym to the book's title. Um, That's and so awesome. That was, yeah, it was really affirming. I was like, okay, I think there's 
let's there's something here let's, yeah. let's keep going <laughs> all right lord i hear you yeah yeah man that is so cool and something i want to highlight that i've heard actually john mark comer talk about is this fact that the that the bible is often void of specifics and details so whenever there is a detail i.e nicodemus coming out at night that small little detail that we would tend to overlook and just read over and you know not think much of holds significant value and that those are littered all throughout the bible the bible just in and of itself is such a fascinating piece of literature that i feel like is underappreciated just as an objective piece of literature um but and that's a whole nother conversation but these little details that are throughout the book like when the disciples ran to Jesus's tomb and one disciple was faster and got there first, or like in the old Testament, there's tons with like the ark and stuff like that. But, um, it's just fascinating. So I love that you were able to, to see that and then extrapolate that out. Like, what does that mean? And then apply it to yourself and apply it to this entire book. That's just super rad, man. And shows your intention behind it. Um, yeah, I love that. So let's talk about the acronym, the N. What does the N stand for? Yeah, so uh, N is, is is naked. And that that word um, kind of begins the book with an image of, of Adam and Eve in the garden. And what's, what's important about the story, and it's one, you know, maybe um, for any listeners, it's something you're familiar with or if you're not familiar with. Um, it, the Bible says that... Um, that they were naked and felt no shame. And so that, that's really hard to envision, to be honest. Like I can't, like I really can't even imagine this, this world of, of humans being naked, but, but feeling no shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is because our, our world is broken. Um, and it comes from the fall of, of, of man. And in this story, in this narrative of, of Adam and Eve, when they go outside of God's boundary, when they rebel against him, when they um, pursue autonomy, where they want to seize power and control um, for themselves in, in some way, uh, what happens is that then, then they feel this shame. And that's, that's the introduction of sin and, and brokenness into the world. And what happens, the result of that is the Bible says that they cover themselves in fig leaves mm. and then they hide from God, mm. which is funny because a lot of times we think like God is the one who's angry and, and, and casting us aside, but, but truly our, our shame and our insecurities cause us to hide from God. We're the ones who are afraid to be seen um, for who we are and what we've done. And so they, they cover themselves with fig leaves. And this is the most important concept, I think, that is often missed in the story. Um, once they come out from hiding, it says that God clothes them with animal skins. And, and, and that's just like almost for, for so many people uh, a throwaway line, but it has tremendous implications. Um, this is a theme throughout all of Scripture. And I, until I realized this, um, I, I hadn't seen it, and now I see it all the time. God is working to clothe his people. That, that's a constant metaphor in scripture. It's in parables. It's referenced over and over again as this image of what God is doing. We as humans feel shame and insecurity. We try to cover ourselves mm. as much as we can, but our coverings are insufficient. They're not good enough. That's why Adam and Eve, despite their coverings, still choose to hide behind the bushes uh, from God. And so what he does is he, he clothes them. And this is the first sacrifice in the Bible. The first sacrifice is, is found here in Genesis when God clothes them with animal skins. Essentially what he's saying is you feel shame and insecurity. You try to cover that up. Your coverings are insufficient. I will make a sacrifice on your behalf that will actually clothe you. That's um, so it, good. 
it, it, it really is. And honestly, it's, it's important to know, like, God does this not because he's embarrassed of their nudity. They were mm-hmm. naked from the beginning. He yeah. does this so that they can come out from hiding and they can be secure and validated in who he made them to be. I've never heard that articulated like that. That's so good. And it's interesting because we were already perfect. We were, we were already our authentic true selves. And then we did something to ruin that. And then God, through his grace, came back and saved us again which is just the the common theme throughout the Bible and our individual lives and lives collectively. But that's super interesting, man. I love that. Yeah. So, so what do you think the source of shame and insecurity is in one sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the, the quick answer is sin, right? That's like mm-hmm. the sin is the, is the problem here. Sin is the source of our shame and insecurity. And, and it's true. That is, that's true. But I actually think that there's something deeper. I think sin is a symptom of, of, a bigger problem, which is fear and, mm-hmm. and maybe doubt. Um, and and, and it's, it's interesting is like fear and doubt are not sinful in and of themselves, but they, they lead to uh, this problem that we see in this narrative in Genesis, that the, the fear and the doubt that, hey, did God really say this? Is it possible that he's holding out on you? What if he's, what if he's hiding the truth? What if what if you could make better decisions than he can? What if, what if you were allowed to set the boundaries? Is there, is there a better, is there a more prosperous life on the other side of you seizing control? Mm. And, and that, that fear of like, whoa, what if, what if I'm missing out? Or what if God's not, God isn't who he says he is? And, and the doubt that, that fuels that fear, um, eventually lead to sin. And, and, um, and then that has destructive ramifications on all of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, it's that voice in the head, man. It always comes down back to that voice in the head that's leading us astray, that's not rooted in truth, that is totally just, I don't insecure, fear-based, doubtful. It serves us in a lot of ways, but it's the source of all of our struggles and all of yeah. our issues. I've, I've really come to believe that and know that, and I feel like this is not taught enough yeah. uh, to the youth. Well, and, and the other thing to that is we, we talk about the source. Like, what's the source of our shame and insecurity? Um, according to God, it's a who. God asked the question to Adam and Eve. Yes. He says, who, who told you that you are naked? Mm. And we want, as we hear that question, it's, we want to answer it quickly. Like, okay, let's think of all the characters in the story. There's, uh, there's Adam and there's Eve and there's the, the serpent. And, uh, but at the end of it, the answer is no one. Like, the source of shame and insecurity is a who, but... But no one says, hey, you're naked. When, when they disobey God, when they step outside that boundary, it says that their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. And so that, that means we are the architect of our own insecurities. They come from within us. Hmm. Dang, man. That's super good, too. So what are some practical tools we can employ to overcome our insecurities? Yeah. Um, I love this story in... Uh, in, in the Gospels, so we, you know we all know Peter, and he's he's the, he's the champion of faith. He's the rock, uh, but there's the classic uh, mom- moment when he disowns Jesus three times. He says, "I, you know, I will I will never leave you." And uh, as Jesus is arrested, there's a scene that it says he was standing by the charcoal fire. Again, we we talk about details. This mm-hmm. is an important one. He says he was standing by the charcoal fire when um, when he disowned Jesus for the third time, and he hears the, the rooster. Um, and he, and he realizes what, what, what he's done. So he flees, he runs away. And that's the last that he had seen Jesus. And, uh, and I'm sure for Peter, just like all of us, 
we recognize when we fail. We recognize when we make big mistakes. Um, and again, part of, part of that insecurity we know is there uh, means we, we have to find ways to cover it up. Those are the fig leaves uh, we, we, try to, we try to strap on so that no one sees. We know we failed. We know we're insecure, but we don't want others to see it. And so uh, it's easier to just leave it behind to bury it. And so from the, from the time that Peter abandons Jesus, um, uh, he, he's, he's obviously feeling a lot of guilt and remorse and shame. And, uh, and later on, after the, the death uh, of Jesus and his burial and later his resurrection, he, he appears to the disciples again. And he's on the beach, he's on the shore, and they're out in a boat. Peter j- jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore as fast as he can. And it says when he arrives, Jesus was sitting there with breakfast by the charcoal fire. Now, mm. setting is, is, is crucial here because when was the last time Peter saw, according to scripture, Peter saw a charcoal fire? It was when he was making the biggest mistake of his life. And now it's almost like salt in the wound. Like here's Jesus is again, and the setting is the same. Like I'm sure that there's this, this correlation. Peter feels like, oh wait, this, this scene feels familiar. I remember, I remember when I see the charcoal fire, um, what, what I was doing last time I was here. And, um, what's, what's important about that story is that Jesus then asks him, um, three times, Peter, do you love me? And and he kind of interprets this um, maybe maybe with some some skepticism like oh do you do you actually love me Peter like thinking in the back of his mind like oh how could you actually love me because you you denied me three times mm-hmm. um, but but it's no coincidence that Jesus asked this question three times because those were the three denials that, that Peter initially made and with every single time Jesus asked the question do you love me he then provides an invitation and says well, feed my sheep meaning this. I want to bring you back to your calling. I want to restore you to who I've made you to be. You, you are not, um, you are not so far gone that you cannot return to who you're meant to be and, and do what you're meant to do. Feed my sheep is an invitation. And, um, and if Peter would have denied him four times, then Jesus would have asked him four times because mm-hmm. for every, every failure that we, we make, every time we, we step away from who we're meant to be, Jesus is there with an invitation to return. <laughs> Jeez, dude, you did your research for this book. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> it's so oh, good, oh, yeah, man. Hopefully, any, I'll tell you, anything that's good in here uh, is not of me. I genuinely believe that. And mm. so uh, if it's helpful, yeah, by all means. Amen. Pray, praise God, dude. Yeah. Right on. So let's get to the I then. That was the N in night, which stood for naked. And then I, what does that stand for? So that's just the word in. Um, and, it, and it refers to our circumstances. The circum- you know, sometimes... We're in great circumstances, but a lot of times we're in bad circumstances, and we just have to get real about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what, what is a circumstance? Yeah, so when we think about circumstances, I'm talking about the events and the facts that surround your life right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that can, be, that can be a number of things. So think about like what, just how you would answer this question. What are you in right now? Are you in, are you in a, a, a bad relationship? Are you in a bad job? Are you in a bad season of life? You know, we're all, we're all in things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, especially when it's bad, we, we want out. That's, that's, that's what we're working towards. How do we get out of this? And mm-hmm. so, um, part two is all about like, well, before you move out of a bad circumstance, what is there to be gained while you're in it? Hmm. Speak to that. Yeah. Um, so I, I will, I will say this, uh, as I go through scripture, I, I see a few important things, um, that help us understand what, what God's trying to teach us in a bad circumstance. 
Um, number one is this. God has not forgotten you. When you're in a bad circumstance, it's easy to just think right away, God has abandoned me. Hmm. This is it. Like, he has left me. I'm, I'm on my own. Um, and, and that's why, you know, when we look at the letters to the exiles, the words of the prophets, we have to realize that's not true. God is sending his prophets. He's, he's speaking to the people in exile. They're, they've been uh, excommunicated. They're not home. They're stuck in Babylon, a place they don't want to be. Um, and, and so if you want to talk about bad circumstances, that's, that's what the exile is. And, uh, and God is sending a message through the prophets. I have not forgotten you. I see you. I know you. I'm with you. I feel your pain, which naturally you want to say, oh, great. Then you're just going to get, get us out of this. But one of the things he says to the exiles is, hey, just settle in for a little bit. Like this, it's not going to happen right away. In fact, he tells them to build homes and plant gardens and work towards the prosperity of Babylon. Hmm. That's not what you want to hear when you're in a bad circumstance. You want out as soon as you can. And so when you hear God say like, hey, set, settle in for a little bit. I've not forgotten you, but it's not time to leave. Um, can be really disheartening. And that's why um, I, I use this example in, in part two. But I love I love the game of poker. And uh, I love playing Texas Hold'em. And uh, and this becomes an image for what I think we, we sometimes feel in our bad circumstances. When you're playing poker, um, it, it's obviously strategy. But at some level, you're at the mercy of the cards that you're dealt, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's, there's a particular hand you don't want to receive um, two cards passed your way, uh, an offsuit, do seven. Those are just the worst hand you can get statistically because it just has the lowest odds of being the winning hand. So a lot of times when you're playing poker, you get a you get a bad hand, you just fold. You, just, you put your cards down, you push them to the side. You know, you might lose a couple chips along the way, but essentially you're just waiting for a good hand. And when you're in a bad circumstance, that's what we tend to do. We we say, oh, you know, I don't like the hand that I'm dealt. I'm just going to fold. I'm just going to lay low. I'm going to ride it out and hope for something better to come my way. And mm -hmm. I've watched that happen in my own life when I'm in a bad circumstance, especially when it's a circumstance that is my own fault, when it's the consequence of my bad decisions. I, I don't want to be there. Okay, but I'll just fold. I'm just going to hang out. I'm just going to wait and do nothing until things get better. Um, and so I think about that, that, that image of, of an offsuit, do seven. When we're, when we're dealt a bad circumstance, we just want to fold. But, mm. but what we have to realize is that even though that hand is bad, statistically, it's not bad circumstantially, which means this, there are circumstances when an offsuit do seven is actually the best hand at the table. If, if, if you're playing through and the, and the cards that come out on the table are seven, 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 two, two, doesn't matter what anyone else has, you have the winning hand, mm -hmm. but, but not if you fold it, if you fold it, you can't play out that hand. And I think, I think that's what happens in life sometimes is, um, God, God has us in tough circumstances and, um, and he wants us to play it out. And sometimes it's exactly the thing that we need to move forward, mm -hmm. but not if we fold, not if, not if we, not if we laid our, our cards down. Yeah. Yeah. Something that has been super helpful for me that I'm learning about right now, I'm, I'm enrolled in this life coaching school, which has been super helpful and I'm getting certified through one of the best life coaches in the world. Her name is Brooke Castillo. And I've mentioned this on a podcast before, but I think it's worth mentioning again, but she really hunkers down on the fact that a circumstance is just a circumstance. It's just a fact. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. It just mm. exists. And the only thing that determines if it's good or bad, going back to the voice in our head, is our thought about it. Mm. It's it's the yeah. narrative we put around it. Like she even goes to the extreme of saying, like, say say your mom dies. 
when she dies, say say you're out at your kid's baseball game and your mom gets in a car accident and dies. This is a little morbid, but just follow me here. When she dies, that doesn't affect you at all because you don't know. The circumstance is there. It exists. She died. Things are done in her life, but it doesn't affect you at all. The only time it affects you is when the thought goes through your head and you interpret it as something. This isn't to say that you shouldn't be sad or anything. It just goes to show that circumstances exist. The world exists. Mm -hmm. The world is going to go on and on and things are going to happen. But the only thing that determines if something is good or bad is the thought that goes on in our head. And we can choose, praise God, he gave us the agency to choose what narratives we want to think and um, unfortunately we've primed our minds in fear and doubt and insecurity going back to what you were saying earlier so most of the circumstances these um just facts that that aren't good or bad we turn into bad things and we say why am i in babylon why am i suffering why are we oppressed why am i this way why am i that way when we could form these different narratives all right lord what am i learning here Thank you for this. Gratitude is a great way to form. That's why gratitude is so helpful, I feel like. Like all the self-help people talk about the power of gratitude, the power of gratitude. I mean, what it is, is you're taking circumstances and you're forming different happy narratives or grateful narratives around the circumstances to make yourself feel better. Yeah. Um, but that's just an insu- a super, super important skill to develop and just to be able to step away and view your thoughts as like, okay, what what am I making this mean here? And we even in this life coach school, we do a lot of these model exercises where we'll write down like a, a circumstance, we'll write down a, they call it a C line circumstance. I'm talking on a podcast right now. Okay, what is my thought about that? Um, okay, is it going well? Or, oh, no, I'm stuttering. Or, oh, am I talking, you know, too slow or too fast or whatever, that's going to create a feeling and a feeling produces an action action produces results. So working through these types of things and creating these kind of mental models in your brain to see what you are making the world mean in your mind and how that's producing your result is such a valuable skill that is like, and I'm a teacher and I just feel like this should be taught to every single kid from age, you know, five to age 18 so that we can live more fulfilling lives so that the spirit can flourish within us. Because if you're able to adopt those things and root those things, those narratives in truth, then that's going to start producing the fruit from the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the self-control, right? Yeah. Like if, if you can form those narratives around those circumstances, that's the fruit that will come about. But um, we got to be we got to be rooted in truth yeah and and that's and and it's and it's so important that we we recognize it's not only that like it's not only that you have an opportunity in bad circumstances it's that you have to seize it because mm-hmm. think like you know when we're in a bad circumstance it feels like chaos it feels like we're the victim of something bad happening to us and maybe that's even true but when you think about when you think about God's plan, if God, if, if something bad exists in the world, something that he wants to reform, remold, and redeem, um, then, then what's the agency through which he's going to accomplish that? If, if you enable, if you allow a bad circumstance to form you, then God wants to use you to then form that bad circumstance in return. From God's point of view, chaos isn't happening to you. You are happening to chaos. Mm, that's super good. I love that. Yeah, and the most prime example of this, I feel like, is Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. Yeah. If, listeners, if you haven't read that book, go read it. It is the extreme example of what we're talking about here, um, all about Nazi Germany and concentration camps and this 
this guy surviving it and writing a book and he was a psychologist and has some great insight um yeah man so much good stuff love it so let's get into the g so the n was naked the i was in the g is god yeah so god's uh is, is a section where we're asking the question who is god and um and how do we encounter him mm-hmm. so what do you think the most important thing god is trying to do in our life yeah so man this there's there are layers to this mm-hmm. and and it's and it's hard to just provide one one easy answer and so i try to dig in as much as i can in this in this section of the book but i think for for me especially going back to you know my own story of faith which led to to my crisis of faith um it was because i thought god was just trying to get people into heaven like that's that's really what he's trying to do is oh there's sin and there's brokenness in the world, and so God wants you to believe in Jesus so that you can go to heaven. That was like the full picture of, of God's redemptive plan in the world. And uh, and I actually don't think that's that that nearly captures it. Of course, God wants to be uh, all, all humans to be uh, restored and united with him. But the way that he does that is through transformation. That is the most important thing God is trying to do in your life. He is trying to bring you transformation. Mm-hmm. And a great a great image of this is um, in in the story of Jacob, and um, if you don't know Jacob, so and it kind of talks about this through through the text. But uh, Jacob is is a twin, and his name uh, means grasps at the heel, which is an idiom for um, deceiver. And he doesn't, you know, he's he's kind of forms this rivalry with his, his tr- twin brother Esau, and um, and we see that play out. He's very deceptive. That's the identity that he's been given, and that's the narrative that he lives out. Oh, I'm a liar. I'm, I deceive people. And so that's what he does to his brother to the point that um, it, it destroys his relationship and, and costs him uh, dearly. And so then he has to flee. And and um, and basically, uh, through through the the story of, of his journey, um, he himself is deceived by his other relatives. And so it's this this picture of generational sin and, and the consequences and, uh, and it's coming back to him and, and he has to find a new way to live life. And so uh, there's this, this scene where he encounters God in, in the form of a man late at night. It's kind of this bizarre story, but basically he, he wrestles with God uh, in this story. And, uh, and both of them are struggling through, through the battle, through the fight. It says that neither one of them can really get the upper hand on the other. Um, and, uh, and so Jacob asks for this man to bless him and, and, uh, the man who is God in the story, uh, then changes his name and, and changes it from, from Jacob to Israel. And so, um, what's important about this is uh, Jacob has been living out of this false identity that he's been given. And what he really needs to do is he needs to discover who he really is, who he's really meant to be. And that's accomplished in this in this battle with God and this wrestling with God, and this is something we all have to do. If we have to, we have to wrestle with God so that He can He can fight this this false narrative out of us. Um, and 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 that's what's actually happening in the story. When He changes His name to Israel, the story seems to implicate that the name means struggles with God and wins. And then that's that's definitely true. But another translation of Israel is God prevails. So when you look at this fight, like, wait, who, who won? Did, did Jacob won? Did Jacob defeat God or did God defeat Jacob? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the, the match is a draw. The, the loser in, in this match is Jacob's false identity. And that's why he's given a new one because mm-hmm. there's a picture of who he's really meant to be. And that is, that is realized when we wrestle with God, when we, 
when we face that false identity and, and grow beyond it. Mm. So you think that the most important thing God is trying to do is help us become who we actually are, become our true self so that we can live from that place and grow in that place and impact the world from that specific place that expands his kingdom. Absolutely, yes. So transformation is key in in all of this because we're not going to, and it's and it's going to be painful. Like I mean, I don't I don't know how many of of the listeners here have you know either done wrestling or or been a part of of some kind of competitive fighting or maybe just some street fights. But like this is the picture. It's a fight. It is a Mm. battle Mm. that we have to have with God, and it's and that means it's going to be painful, and you're going to exert yourself. To, to the max. And, um, and that's not something we want to do. It's, it's easier to just say like, no, 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 I'm, I'm good where I am, but that's not going to result in actual transformation. Yeah. So talk real quick to the listener or to the person who is struggling to find their unique calling, their unique true self. What are, what are some real practical, actionable things they should be doing to help get themselves further down that path of actualizing who they are at a core level? Yeah. I mean, if you think about this logically, if there's a God and that God created you for a purpose and that purpose is discovered in a relationship with Jesus, the only way you're going to fully understand who you are and why you're here is by diving in um, to that relationship with Jesus and making it your absolute priority. Now, Granted, some people are are not have not drawn the conclusions on on the layers of that statement. Maybe they, I don't know if there's a God, or if they think that there is, maybe they don't know that God's actually created them for a purpose. Mm-hmm. If they do, maybe they don't know that that purpose is actually found in a relationship with Jesus. So I, I get, and, and there that that's part of the journey is trying to determine the answers to those questions. But if you've if you've arrived at those conclusions, um, then you have to realize, like, no, 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 Jesus is not an aspect of your life. He is your life. This is you, you have to. Every single thing you do, every thought you have, every action you take, every decision you make has to be channeled through this relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And discovering your true self and what your true purpose is, is a byproduct of that relationship, at least from my experience, because the Father will start to prune your life and will start to give you feelings and start putting people in your life and the spirit will start to speak with you and lead you down paths and open doors and close other doors and some relationships will fail and others will flourish and it's never the path that you think but i feel like that that is the byproduct of of developing an authentic honest true relationship with the father through the son and abiding in the spirit. Yes. Yeah. And that's, and, and that transformation is ultimately what's going to lead you to, to that next component of the book, which is holiness. We, God mm-hmm. is trying to direct us and navigate us towards a life of holiness. Mm. Yeah. Talk to us about what that means. What is holiness? Yeah. I, I think this is like a word that <laughs> we get scared of because we, we put a picture in our mind of like, Oh, whole, like, I, I don't know, but I, I think of like, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like just this constant, you know, radiation of one note and, (laughs) you know, like, and that, and it just like some monk sitting on a, on a mountaintop, not never having relationships with anyone or talking to anybody. Yeah. Halo Um, around his head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's not the picture of of holiness. And, um, and, and, and I get into this in, in part four in the book. Um, but just to give a quick overview of it, um, the first time God is called holy in scripture, 
um, is actually, I think it's, it's fourth reference in the Bible. So the first three references, the word holy is used, um, to describe something that's just set apart. That's all it is. Hmm. But, but when, when it talks about God being holy, it's not just that he's set apart. There's a, there's a unique quality to God that makes him holy. And when God is directly called holy by his people for the first time in scripture, it's in reference to their liberation, to their freedom. It's when they're crossing uh, the Red Sea. Um, they've now escaped Egypt. And the first time God is called holy it is in this moment. And they sing a song. They're singing songs about how God is holy, which means that, that God's holiness is, is not only the catalyst that, that leads to liberation, um, it's the quality that defines what it means to be free. And so a lot of times we think that like, oh, I, I can't be holy. And it's like, no, 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 that's not true. In fact, you have to be holy. God says, be holy because I am holy. Um, and what he's really saying there is, is be free. We, we, we think of freedom. This is, this is the real problem. We, when we think about freedom, we think about doing whatever we want to do. Yeah. That is, that is not freedom. In fact, if, if you, if you live out your life w with that definition of freedom, eventually you'll come to a point when you're not free. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you, you make all these decisions. Maybe you, you know, partake in things that you shouldn't or you become attached to things that aren't good for you. You know, like I, an easy example is like, well, drugs. Like, okay, I want to be free to just do whatever I want. I want to do drugs. Well, eventually, like you, you, if you do that, if you exercise your freedoms to make those decisions, um, then they have a hold on you. Mm. And then they take over and then you form addictions and then you can't escape them. And then my question to that is, did you feel free? Do you feel like, you feel like this lifestyle of of freedom, by your definition, has led you to a feeling of freedom, um, and and that's why when we talk about holiness, it's God's path to make us what is truly free, to not be controlled or manipulated by our disordered desires, the things that we should not want, um, but to be free and within the boundary that keeps us safe and, and enables us to reach our true potential. Mm. So, do you think? true freedom equates to inner peace? Yeah, I feel like, uh, w without a doubt, when we talk about freedom, especially through a filter or the lens of, of inner peace, we have to recognize like that is a lifelong journey. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that Oh, and hey, if this happens, that'd be great. But I don't know that I'm going to reach a point where I'm like, oh, I've got full peace, yeah. full inner peace, full freedom. Um, and I think the reason for that is because I, regardless of what I'm able to accomplish through my relationship with Jesus, I still am in a broken world. Yeah. And I still am enticed by things that, that tempt me. And so... Um, and why would you need God? If you have complete inner peace, why would you need God? Mm, you know? Right, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, that, and, and that is why... Um, holiness does not come from me. It comes yes. from another, from another source. Mm -hmm. Um, and that source is what sustains me. Yeah. And that's why I believe the, the main fruits of the spirit are love, joy, and peace, right? With those mm. three things budding out from the spirit into our life that produces what, what I think is freedom. I mean, if I have love, joy, and peace ruling my world and you know, those are the, the common traits that come out of me, dude, I'm chilling, yeah. <laughs> you know, right, like that, right. that's a good place to be. So, and, and just to encourage the listeners, and again, I'm still in the early processes of this, but what I'm coming to experience and understand is that you have desires, we have desires that were intentionally placed in us 
and that though we need to listen to them like if you feel called to like for me start a podcast like fitness and wellness and holistic wellness and psychology like all these things i have like a that stuff is super fun for me for some weird reason that i can't articulate it just resonates with me and i enjoy it and my wife doesn't enjoy a lot of the things that i do my friends my family a lot of these people are like why you spend an hour doing that or you bought that thing like why they they don't understand that it connects with me at a deep level but through that god is shaping me into this human who has this unique perspective and this is all glory to god no boastfulness here but this unique perspective of wellness and faith and spirituality and mental health and all these different things but those desires that I have to to learn and those things that I'm attracted to, they are in me for a reason. And the reason is to expand the kingdom and connect mm. with people who have similar desires that can connect with 10% of what I'm saying over here. And this other group connects with this 20% stuff like that. So I just encourage the listeners to, what what are you passionate about? What do you find fun that other people find as work? Because mm-hmm. those things that you find as fun that you are super interested in and want to learn more about or share with people, those are the those are the avenues that that you need to keep going down and keep learning and keep you know sharing and that's where you are going to develop true wisdom and true knowledge and true value to share with the world and also monetize at some mm-hmm. point. You become the mm-hmm. best at whatever that is, then you're valuable. So I think that's super important. And to not be ashamed of like, man, I want to have a dope Instagram. Like, I'm not ashamed of that. Like, I put a lot of stuff on Instagram right now, and I'm and I'm ramping it up. And I used to feel a little bit like, man, am I being prideful? Am I being arrogant here? But screw that. I feel like that's the enemy coming into my, my mind telling me don't do it because it's having an effect and it's expanding the kingdom. Like I want to put dope workout videos out there and I want to put out cool content and that, and God gave me that for a reason, that desire to be creative and that desire to spread that stuff. So I just would encourage people to start, start identifying those different things in your life that really set a fire inside of you and start going down those paths and see where they lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it was so important about that is, you know, it's, it's, it's a, there's, there's two sides to the coin because those very things can be a result of like, Hey, this is who I am. This is who I'm called to be. This energizes me. And then all of a sudden it flips and it's like, Oh, it does become prideful or prideful, I, do, I am yes. looking to the wrong things. And so we have to, we have to make sure we're cautious about it, mm-hmm. but because, because that's what temptation is, ha, has the ability to slip in, in ways that we don't, we don't want it to. Yes. And so, um, so I, I think, I think the caution behind that is, is so crucial, but, I, but, but you said it exactly right. You, you have, you, you have desires, you have passions, you have gifts. Those are intentional. Yes. And so when, so we, we should not be ashamed of those things. We should be doing that with, with full confidence that, Hey, I'm, I'm doing what God has made me to do. And so another way of thinking about holiness, you know, God says, be holy for I am holy. If, if you get stuck on that idea that this, this metric of for your life, this compass, another way of putting it is, is when you're holy, when you're, when you're working towards holiness, you are your best self. You, you are living your best life. You, mm. you are your best self. You're living your best life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I love that. And to, and to the pride point as well, because I put thought into that as well, because I was I was able to see that like, hmm, well, then where there's pride in the Instagram, there's pride in following these things and being the best at that. And to me, that's the father pruning. It's maturation. It's like, yeah, I'm going to mm, lead yep. you down this true self path and you're going to stumble just like Israel did, just like every person in the Bible has. You're going to fail. You're going to flip it and make it think, make yourself think that you're the one doing this, that you're so good at whatever it is. And then that's going to make you feel like crap and produce the opposite fruit of the spirit. And then you're going to have to repent, turn away from it and really identify like, you know, all right, Lord, this is about you. How can I expand mm. your kingdom through this? And one thing that I always come back come back to is um, in in Psalm twenty three, where it says, "The Father guides you along the right paths for His name's sake. Mm. He guides yes. you along the right paths for His name's sake." Like His plan is so much greater, and there, you know that that is just so much comfort that is so comforting to me to know that, that like, all right, I'm, I'm being guided down this path for his name's sake and he's going to redeem things and he's going to prune things and just help me mature and grow Mm -hmm. so that I can ultimately expand his kingdom because it is not about me. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay. So, uh, N was naked. I N G God H holy. And then T temple talk to us about the temple man and and why is it so important in the bible it comes up all the time so talk to us about that yeah so uh if if i could ever make a case to like finish a book (laughs) it's it's this you know because like when i was writing uh, i was talking to some authors and they were sharing statistics with me like hey you know 75 percent of books don't are are not fully are are not 100 percent read like they people just kind of um falter out at the end there and so uh, so the, w- one author said, don't, don't make your, be- don't, don't put all your best stuff at the end. And I'm like, I, I totally respect that. But like everything is ultimately building to part five, which is temple. Everything, um, is, is, um, working towards this picture of, of what we see in scripture. And a lot of times we, I think, I think our, um, I, I think our temptation is to, is to view the temple in scripture in the old Testament as like, Oh, something that happened. But it, but it's not something that happens. It's it's the, the temple is current. So so in the Old Testament, when when the temple is bi- is built, um, it was first a tabernacle and then it became the temple. Um, the purpose was made clear. It was so that God could live among His people. And so of course, if that's the purpose mm. of the temple, when it's destroyed, that's devastating. What ha- like what do you mean the temple is destroyed and now God cannot live with His people? And so, um, and that's kind of what we see in, in some of the tension of, of Jesus in his ministry is he's saying like, yeah, like this, this is all going to be destroyed. I'm, it's, it's no stone will be left unturned. And, um, and that was, that was really difficult for, for the people because their identity is in this temple. Essentially, if you want to go back to the image of the garden, the temple had become the new fig leaves that we're covering. We feel security. We, we build up the stones really strong. We feel, we feel like we have it together. This is our, this is our protection, and so um, this is how we feel secure. But but it's void of God's presence. The temple um, is 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 vacant, and that's made clear in, in several different points in Scripture that God's presence had left the temple. It becomes full of idols. People are chasing the wrong things. They're um, they're 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 not focused on on what they're supposed to be focused on. And so 
I think, I think sometimes we think in the New Testament, like, oh, yeah, the, the, the temple was an Old Testament thing. But the New Testament writers make it very clear. No, no, no. The temple isn't going anywhere. God's presence needs to go somewhere. God wants to still live among his people. But it transitions from, from, this, from you know, this pile of stones to a new people. He says mm. that the followers of Jesus are living stones of the new temple. God is still trying to inhabit the earth, living with and among his people. Um, when when we are essentially clothed as God's temple. Mm. So good, man. So good. Well done. Guys, the book is called Naked in God's Holy Temple, subtitle, Exposing Your Deepest Insecurities to Reach Your Truest Potential. I've, I'm about halfway through it right now, loving it so far. It's super well written. Um, it's, it's not like a super difficult, dense read. It's very practical and, and helpful. I read a lot, dude, and I'm really digging it. So couple yeah, more, that. yeah, man, couple more questions and I'll, and I'll link to the book in the show notes and your website as well for quick access for people. Um, but a couple quick fire questions to wrap things up. First one being, if you could recommend a couple books, one book, two book, whatever, whatever's clever, uh, from any genre for me and the listeners to check out, uh, other mm. than this one, of course, and the Bible, uh, what would those books be and why? Yeah. So I don't know if this has been recommended, uh, by, by any number of your guests, but, um, if you, if, uh, your, your genre is more, you gravitate more towards novels. I, I always recommend the alchemist, mm. um, and that is, it, it, for me, the, the, it's a story. It's, it, it reads almost like a parable. Like some, I really do feel like, man, this could be, this, this feels like some of the stories that Jesus tells. Hmm. But um, it's a story of, of chasing your dreams, of doing what you are here to do, and realizing like, no, no, no. You know, the, the book calls it the universe. But as a Christian, I'm like, oh, that's, that's God. God, yep. God desires you to achieve what he's put you here to do. And so um, you will feel that support. You will see signs along the way. Um, and you need to hold on to those and use those to propel you, propel you forward, um, because that's that's what uh, that, that that's what your journey is, is going to be if, if you give into it. Yes, dude, love that. I'm adding that to the list. I read novels, I read fiction before bed, and I read more like spiritual formation, um, self helpy type stuff in the morning. Yeah. So, do you have any anything from the latter genre that you would recommend? Yeah. So, um, uh, one of the books that I think has made the biggest impact not only on me as, as an author and my content in this book, but um, just, as a, just as a person, just in my own life, um, is a book called The Burden is Light. Um, the author is John Tyson, J-O-N-T-Y-S-O-N. Mm. Out of New York. And, um, yeah, the, oh yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I think I made it to like page three in that <laughs> book and I, and I wept. I, it bro- I mean, that book broke Dang. me because I just realized like I – I, that was when I realized I don't I don't think I know who I am. Yeah, and uh, and it's time to to out. And so, in a lot of ways, that book was the seed for for the book that I wrote. Oh wow! All right, yeah. Cons- considered it ordered on my end. Goodness gracious! Yeah, yeah John Tyson's <laughs> legit. Um, so, what does a life enchanted mean to you? Yeah, I uh, I absolutely think for all of us, we have to go through this this awakening that we all do have insecurities that's a universal problem even the people you think like no no no, they're not insecure yeah they are they just they just find really good ways to mask it we 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 all have our insecurities and because of those insecurities we all try to cover them up 
we, we try to, we, because we, we don't want to feel vulnerable. We don't want to feel exposed. And mm-hmm. so um, we, we find ways to prop ourselves up. And all of those ways end up being damaging and destructive to, to our true calling and who God has made us to be because they point us to um, comparison. The only way to feel good about yourself is to compare yourself to other people. And when we're looking to other people left and right, um, it takes us to a path that is not fulfilling. When do you arrive? When do you feel like you've you've achieved what you're, I mean, you're just, it's never ending. You're always a dangling carrot, always in front of you. Mm-hmm. And so a life enchanted is reconciling those insecurities with the narrative God has given you, which is you are here for a reason. You have a purpose. Um, and, and the best life possible for you is found in that relationship with Jesus. When you're inhabited by his spirit, when you become the living temple um, and you reach your true potential, that is living a life in Jesus. That is beautiful, man. Thank you for that. Dude, this has been awesome. Matt, where can people find you online? Yeah, so um, social media is is easy. Uh, you can look me up on Instagram or Facebook, Matt Zielich, uh, Z-I-E-L-I-C-H, uh, or my website. Uh, it's just mattzielich.com. Um, and if you forget all of that or you can't remember how to spell my name, just go to Amazon and look up my book, Naked in God's Holy Temple. Beautiful. Again, folks, I will link to that in the show notes. Right on, dude. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, guys. A special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the music heard throughout this episode. Also, a big shout out to Capital Floats, aka my favorite sensory deprivation and float tank facility in Northern California. I'm a frequent user there, and the experience is always transformative to say the least. If you're interested in floating and live in Northern Cal, make sure you use promo code LIFEENCHANTED with no spaces at checkout on their website. You'll save a whopping 40% off your first float and you will not find that deal anywhere else. Also, in regards to some of the content shared in these episodes, make sure you always consult your doctor before making any sudden diet or lifestyle changes. If you're interested in connecting with me, you can find me on Instagram at nick.carlisle or send me an email nick at mylifeenchanted.com. 